Well, hello there, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan. This is my podcast. I thank you so much for joining me for yet another fascinating conversation that lives at the nexus of art, entertainment, culture, and society. Um, exciting news. We are now on Apple Podcasts. I finally got my uh, act together. So uh, you can find this podcast uh, wherever you go to scratch your podcasting itch and uh, however you're consuming it be it on apple be it via spotify or here on youtube uh, please leave me a like or a review we actually have nothing but five star reviews on spotify right now i promise i didn't pay anyone uh, i'm as surprised as you are um, leave me a comment on youtube i love engaging with this community uh, we're really pushing to grow the podcast and the channel and we've got a great community of smart engaged uh, people from all walks of life so, so excuse me I would deeply appreciate it if you subscribed. Um, lastly, you can help uh, grow this community even further by sharing this podcast as much as humanly possible. As always, if you love it, share it with your friends. And if you hate it, why then share it with your enemies? Now, all that said, uh, for those of us who are paying attention, one of the biggest stories in entertainment uh, right now is the turmoil currently besieging the Walt Disney uh, Corporation. Political scuffles, massive layoffs, um, their stock value has collapsed, some very surprising staffing changes, uh, a less than stellar performance for their Disney Plus streaming service, and not to mention some of their biggest IPs, namely the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars, have not been connecting with audiences as much as one might hope or expect. So the question is, what exactly is going on at Disney? Uh, what is the source of all of these problems? Can it pull out of the spiral that it's in, the spiral that's in? And uh, does all this upheaval at the company portend other changes in the entertainment industry as a whole? Well, few people are as knowledgeable and qualified on these issues than today's brilliant guest whose insights into the entertainment industry have long been prescient, even, dare I say, prophetic. He is a screenwriter, a director, and a novelist who's been working in Hollywood for over 20 years his past projects include the Emmy and Golden Globe-nominated Sleeper Cell on Showtime Networks, uh, Kings on NBC, uh, Nikita, Rain, uh, and Roswell, New Mexico on The CW. As a novelist, he's published works such as Mother of the Believers and Shadow of the Swords at Simon and & Schuster. And like myself, he has the radical extremist goal to serve to serve and entertain the audience not to subvert its expectations as he says on his patreon what a freaking scoundrel but on top of all of that uh he was the second ever guest on the clifton duncan podcast and happens to be making history by being the first and only guest to return to the show and i guarantee you the sequel will be even better than the original kamran pasha so wonderful to speak to you again after all this time my friend how are you uh, I'm incredible, and and I'm honored to be back, uh, Clifton. When we did our very first, uh, uh, you know, podcast, uh, you know, I just knew you were going to make it. I, I don't think you knew you were going to make it, but I knew you were going to be an important voice that was going to shake up things, and it has shaken up things. And you know, and to the I think to the annoyance of Hollywood that you've been so passionate and willing to speak out from the heart, and uh, I'm flattered and honored to be the first guest to come back. Uh, yeah. You know, it's been a year at least, I think, since we've been that, maybe more at least. Uh, and the world has changed in some ways, has not changed in other ways. Uh, but, you know, it, it's very important that, that we're able to talk about where the industry is now, because yeah. I think it's actually as an inflection point where a lot of pressures are built. And despite its best efforts, it's forced to start addressing some of those pressures. And we'll talk about that today. Yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you see the um, the 
shall we call them anti-capitalists who always talk about, uh, you know, it's only about profit and about profit, but it's also, they miss the other half, which is that it's also about losses and you can't sustain too many losses with, um, without having to make some kind of course correction or else you're going to go out of business. But um, we can get to all that later because you have um, some late breaking news. You know, it's funny. You said to me, um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, frankly, if I'm going to make it. Uh, I don't know if I'm making it right now. Uh, people seem to be enjoying what uh, I'm doing, but um, as far as Hollywood goes and the industry goes, and one of the reasons I'm even here in the first place, uh, frankly, is because um, the response to the pandemic by the industry has been very, very anti-scientific, very um, draconian, very discriminatory, segregationist, uh, if, if I might say. But some breaking news today as we're recording this, apparently uh, the mandates which have uh, forced people out of uh, work or have forced other people to lie about uh, what they've had done to themselves <clears throat> um, uh, have been, uh, they're apparently going by the wayside. So I need you to tell me more about that, because uh, as those who followed me for a long time know, um, I have a very, very personal interest in this topic. Uh, well, yes. Yeah, so this was this just came out. Uh, actually, it came out uh, yesterday afternoon at 4.17 p.m. on Deadline.com. I'll just read the headline and a couple of points from it. Uh, quote, Hollywood's COVID protocols get expiration date. Vaccine mandate will end, end quote. And the specific of it is that, you know, they've had this, they've had what they've called a return to work agreement that, you know, was how Hollywood, uh, the the unions and, and, the, and the, the producers got together back in 2021 and said, well, how are we going to start moving forward in this environment, uh, you know, when it was still uncertain for a lot of people, it wasn't exactly uncertain for me where things were going, but it was, it was uncertain for a lot of people. And I think it was, it was clear to you where things were going, but nonetheless, the industry has to, had to keep out certain images and and we'll talk about why it did certain things. But back in the, it was, I think it was maybe April 2021 is when they enacted these things, and then they were they were last a few months, and then they kept renewing them. And I and you know every time it would be like a week before the 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 these COVID protocols would be would be put into place. We'd hear well another renewal for another three months, right, without any explanation, right. And that went on and on. And then I think the last one was in January. It was supposed to have, it was supposed to have ended at the end of December and January. Here we go, here we go again. And it was it was my understanding is looking at this article, uh, the recent one was uh, expected expected to end uh, on uh, uh, April 30th, uh, but they have extended it just a few more days uh, uh, till May 12th to apparently coincide with the federal ending of this a quote unquote emergency. Uh, just and, just uh, think of all the people who will die in that in that time frame. I can't I, I can't believe they would be so reckless. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Hollywood, <laughs> as we know, has been a reckless, you know, institution for over a hundred years, uh, and so, so they they announced this yesterday. But what the, the interesting points are that they've announced that it it will not be extended for the first time. They've actually said, rather than we're thinking about it, they have said we will not extend it past there. So a, a few uh, important points that came out of this. Uh, first is that you know they're saying that it, producers will no longer be required to uh, to uh, or, or or have the ability. I, I don't I don't know the producers have the ability to mandate now uh, vaccines pass this agreement uh, under their standing the guilt. So, so those who did not take certain pharmaceuticals uh, would theoretically be allowed to be back in the employment pool. Uh, that includes many actors, includes many crew members, uh, etc. And so that should in theory, open up opportunities again for people that were locked out of this. Uh, and I actually don't refer to this period as the pandemic. I refer to it as the lockdowns, right? Uh, because that it was our reaction to the events that defined it. Right. Uh, and so I always call this period the lockdowns. And so we went through because even when the rest of country 
was no longer locked down. Hollywood was locked down as you and I experienced, right? Uh, and uh, and a lot of that was virtue signaling. We'll talk about that. There's a few interesting points that came out in an update that Deadline put uh, regards to what this uh, extension and termination of this agreement is. One is they're saying uh, uh, grandfathering, which means any pr uh, projects that are in production before May 11, 2023, which is the end of this agreement, uh, they already have a mandatory vaccination policy in zone A. The zone A is where the actors are working the closest. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, they may, quote, keep that policy for the duration of the production. Uh, and for episodic projects, this applies only to season in production before May 11th, not for subsequent seasons. So in theory, if you are on a TV show that's going to continue production to June, July, as of, you know, uh, as of now, they could still in July of this year force you to have you know, various pharmaceuticals and you have to keep this much distance from people. And, you know, you know, a lot of crew had a lot of difficulty getting things done when it, when they were forced to stand six feet apart, when they needed to work together on a monitor. And, you know, and, and then when people went out, hey, you know, the six feet apart thing was kind of made up, right? In Europe, it's three feet apart. Uh, are the Europeans dumber? You know, it's kind of all made up, right? And people are like, don't talk about it. Just do it, right? No, dude, <laughs> so it was so it was so stupid. I mean, the, the last the last thing I did was a I did a quick one one day guest star on the Good Fight for a CBS, mm -hmm. and it was so ridiculous. First of all, they have part of the protocol. Uh, I, I call it uh, I call them COVID cops. They'd be on set <laughs> and they'd be they'd be literally patrolling the halls and you know telling people to keep their masks on and telling people to keep a distance from one another. And what was so ridiculous about it is that you had to keep your mask on until the moment you began shooting, at which point the virus apparently becomes camera shy and it does not and magically does not transmit in 24 frames per second. And I just thought to myself, okay, so episodic television is already, uh, you know, time is money. It's very fast. Uh, people are trying to get their work done. There's, there's never enough time. And yet here we are, only a few of us can be crowded into the room at the time, one person at a time, you know, it's like then there's, there's last looks, AKA makeup. And, you know, then the sound people have to do with their adjustments, but no one can be in the, the space at the same time. So it's even more cumbersome and more time consuming. I'm thinking to myself, no one can work under these conditions. And as you were saying, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it just doesn't make uh, sense. It, it, it never made sense. And it, it's hard for people to admit that. And we'll talk about the reasons why it's hard for people to admit that. They'll continue to not admit that. We'll see that in the comments on the deadline article. But, you know, but I remember uh, Tom Cruise made a, you know, he made a big, a little virtue signaling statement and gave an interview about how he was managing, uh, you know, COVID uh, on, on, on the movie he was working on and, and, you know, and how he yelled at two crew members who were closer than six feet apart, trying to look at a monitor to follow what was going on to do their work, right? And he made a big drama about it. Uh, apparently, I mean, uh, you know, he was shared how, I think he, he might have even shared the audio of it. Uh, it was sort of like he, the-, he the, the it. Uh, yeah, or I heard. I feel. I mean, maybe I'm misremembering it, but there was the Christian Bale audio. There's a lot of leaked audios of people exploding yeah. on set. But there was definitely this whole. But he was proudly saying it that you know I yelled at these people, and I was like, "What about those poor crew members who are they're what do they need binoculars to see the the monitor? I mean, they got they they're they're trying to get something done, and they need to look at the monitor, and it's two people that need to do this together. So how are they going to do this from six feet apart from the monitor, right? And so, and yet he was proudly saying this, and the trades were saying, "What a heroic." Man, he is standing up for the yeah. crew. So, so the crew is just screaming the word. So I'll give you some more of the other things that you should be aware of as an actor that's that's in this. So we've got this oh, grand yeah. thing. Another thing that they've stated is that here's this is interesting for love scenes, quote, intimate photography. Uh 
SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP, which is the which is the producers organization, have reached an understanding on a testing system for performers involved in intimate scenes to ensure their safety and well-being. So not only do you now have these uh, intimacy coordinators, you're going to have the COVID cop with the intimacy coordinator. <laughs> it's so, I mean, it's so utterly ridiculous. And, and, what, and the thing about it is that they're so divorced from reality. I mean, the re- I mean, I'm in Atlanta right now. The rest of the country has essentially moved on. I mean, the military's dropped these these uh, these restrictions, these mandates. Um, even in New York, there was a Supreme Court ruling there where public sector employees um, who were fired basically because they didn't take these uh, these vaccines had had to be were ordered to be brought back with back pay. And of course, our our spiteful, ridiculous mayor. Um, I say our, he's not my mayor, uh, but you know, they they just they just said, well, they're going to have to re- reapply for their job. I mean, they just so I don't know what it is, something about something about blue America, you know, and I and I hate to be partisan about these things. But the, but the fact of the matter is that this, this problem is coming from the Democrats. It's the Democrats who can't let it go. It's the Democrats, you know, and Democrat voters and, and blue America, the blue church, if you will, who just who won't let it go. They're so obsessed with uh, trying. I mean, really, when you think about it, it's, it's, it's ironic because so many of them are secularists. Right. But they're trying well, to play religion. God. They're, they're, the they're, well, it's it's I call it the it's the Covidian cult, but like they're trying to control nature and control uh, the you know the spread of this virus and who lives and who dies, and it's just an impossible task. And you know, furthermore, and the last thing that I'll say is that you know their response to it has violated every one of their stated ostensible principles. You know, uh, wealth you know wealth disparities and inequalities have widened during this. And um, one of the worst things you know that I've seen is that you know in, in their heads they have this idea that everyone who's not going along with these protocols is some kind of crazy uh, MAGA nut job. And uh, when it comes to the mandates, the, the vaccine mandates specifically, I said, guys, look, and I say this point over and over again, black Americans vote over 90% Democrat, and yet they're the least vaccinated demographic. So the people that you're shutting out of, of jobs, out of careers, um, you know, on Broadway, out of your audience, um, they're largely black and Latinos, or they're but more- but this is the moment, Clifton. This is when their hidden racism comes out. This is when they're like, well, it's not screw so hidden. Well, it's not but, hidden. But see, but it's it's hidden for a long time. But in the last two, several years, it, you know, and I'll, I'll even share some personal instances where I, I was attacked uh, and 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 uh, ethnocentric comments were made to me for not wearing a mask in an open park. I'll talk about that. Right. Uh, and so yeah. those it, but it's but this is the stuff that was hidden in their souls that came out now where it's like, well, you know, black people are going to be stupid enough not to take these these salvation, you know, pharmaceuticals that have been given. Well, screw them. OK, so it, then. You point out this. You point out the lockdowns are are uh, affecting African American students more than anybody else. If minority students, right? Uh, inner city kids. I don't care. Black. You know, there were times you couldn't even get in a restaurant in New York, right? Black people can't get in. I don't care. I, I mean, and literally, it would. And the, the fact is, they never cared. And now is their moment to reveal it. Yeah, you know, it was so it was so stunning to me. And, uh, you know, for for those of uh, those of us who are sensitive, um, you know, pardon, you know, maybe cover your ears, we put on some earmuffs. But I said, you know, it's so strange to me that literally these people, they went from Black Lives Matter, we're all anti-racists now. Um, and, and literally months after that, they said, you know what, I don't want these niggers in my in my museum, in my restaurant or in my theater. And this is at a time, by the way, where I was getting messages, you know, this is right after George Floyd had died. And I was getting messages from like these aggrieved white women and these other institutions that I worked for who were saying, we know that you've, you've felt burdened and over, excuse me, and, and overlooked and we want you to feel included and yada, yada, yada. And then of course it turned right around and 
is they just start uh, uh, barring people from it. And it's just been the most crazy and ludicrous uh, uh, policy. And the thing it's is, the thing VBLM. Is it's VBLM, vaccinated Black Lives Matter. <laughs> you know, I mean, but and even still, like, it's just. I mean, did, did you see that footage? I'm sure you. I'm sure you've seen it, where um, the, you know, Fauci and uh, and uh, Muriel Bowser, who's uh, the the mayor of Washington D.C. For those who don't know, they were going around. So there's an area in D.C. called Anacostia. Anacostia is not uh, the richest, um, uh, most high income part of D.C. by a long shot. And it was just, and it was so. And the thing about people who you know from more working class or lower or lower income uh, backgrounds is that they don't. Have have the time to mince words they don't really they don't care and so you know there was this one black man who just basically said you know i ain't taking it and you know and, and as I Fauci is, it. it was yeah. wonderful and as fauci is walking off he's he's you know and completely just dismissing him this guy just goes you know you're ruling by fear you're trying to control people by fear and it was the most salient thing but it just it was great like i love that this dude and uh, this black dude in anacostia has said what so many people want to want to want to are thinking or ice cube is another one who, uh, mm -hmm. you know, he had a, this great clip and, uh, you know, just to, sum to summarize it, he said, um, he said, fuck, he said, fuck your jab and fuck all y'all for trying to make me get it. I was like, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's well, it. you know, it's, it's, it's like the black community hasn't forgotten something called the Tuskegee experiment. They haven't quite forgotten that. White people don't even know about it. Well, on top of that, if I can jump back in, it's like, it's, it's not just Tuskegee. And by the way, you, you would see uh, the, often these white, uh, you know, quote unquote progressives. I mean, obviously they're not that, but they, they, yeah. they call themselves that. So that's the, la the label that we'll go with. But yeah. they, they will pay lip service to Tuskegee. But then, you know, but on top of that, it's just there's a history of medical experimentation. And my, my thing was you can't tell you can't tell generations, literally generations of black Americans that every institution in America is rigged against them. Uh, particularly the, the medical and hospital industries, right? And yeah. then expect them to line up and just take this new this new drug. It's unbelievable. And 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 they were talking out of both sides of their face. I just I could not believe it. And the thing the is, the whole thing was both sides of their face. You see, that's why I saw the I saw that that clip uh, that you talked about, and that gentleman that spoke to Mr. Fauci uh, spoke the truth that millions of people needed to say and never had the ability to access this guy. And and he said it to his face. And the look on his face was he couldn't believe his damn black man was talking back to him like that and saying things that I, look, I, I believe he knows everything the guy is saying is true and he doesn't care, but you know. absolutely knows. He, he, well, I mean, well, I, I think, I know, I think when the footage was recorded, it might've been like 2021 or something like that. So to, so to be fair. Not you know, more since before 2021, but whatever. Yeah, but do, oh, oh no, we know, we know, we, you know, the emails have been out there. We know these people are, I mean, I'm just going to say this. Is gonna be... He do all this, a mask don't work. This thing don't stop, no spread. I mean, he's video, like, well, we're gonna have, that's not what I'm going to say tomorrow at NBC. It's going to be, it's going to be so demonetized this video is but i mean but but the fact of the matter is i mean you know these these people are they're liars and frauds and yet they've been worshipped the entire time by the entertainment industry i mean to see like brad pitt for instance you know go on and what was it snl where he's given this uh this tribute to anthony fauci like thank you fauci for everything you've done or this weird weird music video with james corden and ariana grande and they literally have these blankets with with Fauci's face on them. I mean, it's, it's one of the most, I mean, it, it, it is, it's a cult. It's a cult. It's it, like cult it, it, worship. It, it's a cult. And, uh, you know, people try to remember just a few years ago, there was a movie called Dallas Buyers Club in which Fauci was the bad guy. Which right? is a great talked movie. talked about the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, and AIDS epidemic. He's like, this was, this guy's, this guy's a negative character in the movie. And it's, it's like he raced. It's, but, you know, it all comes down to one very simple thing. It's so simple. And you hit on it, which is, it's all about Trump. 
It, Trump broke the minds of the left. They broke the minds of Hollywood, right? And I didn't even vote for this dude, but I'm telling you, he Neither. broke their minds. He broke their minds. And so literally anything, you know, this whole situation was, if you questioned this bizarre situation we found ourselves in with these lockdowns and Fauci story changing every five minutes, right? And do this, do that. And, and as the African-American gentleman said, it's like, you know, if you got to, you got to, you got to convince me to take this by offering me toys and free bat, free hamburgers and this and that, you know, something's wrong. Right. And so people, but because Hollywood in particular, because Hollywood Trump is Hitler. He is Hitler. There is no difference in the man. Right. So, so, if Fauci could be perceived as standing up to Trump, which the guy was working for him, right? This this operation, this this op, whatever the hell that the operation was called, uh, you know that 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 accelerated the development of these farmers, yeah, of of you know light speed. And this was you know it, it, the these what I tried to explain to my colleagues in the industry. I was like, uh, you know, they're like, oh, these damn anti-vax Trumpers. I was like. Uh, you do realize Trump has been promoting this vaccine with anybody else. He takes great pride. He's still taking great pride in it. I was like, this is his thing. I was like, you're putting something in your body that he wants you to put, right? And it. And by the way, by the by the way, do, do you, if you recall, I mean, uh, these these prominent Democrats and, and Democratic officials, right, including our current president and vice president and Andrew Cuomo, who at the time was referred to as America's governor, ridiculous. <laughs> um, they e each and every one of these people said, you know, flat out, I, I'm not going to trust any vaccine that comes out of this administration. But nobody called them anti-vax. Nobody called them, you know, excoriated them or discriminated against them. And then, you know, and then you have people like Nancy Pelosi and Anthony Fauci who are saying you know, we can't mandate these things. We're not allowed to mandate them. We're not going to mandate them. And then they turn around and they do exactly that. And anyone who had the same concerns that these prominent Democrats did about this particular uh, medical product, um, you know, whether it's it's very fast, you know, they're, they're being rushed out the door, safety concerns. Then all of a sudden, once the president changed, uh, it became you became an anti-vaxxer. So, so so hold on a second. So the 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 safety and effectiveness of a of a medical product depends on who happens to be in the White House. It doesn't make any sense at all. Well, and, and I saw at the moment, you know, it was all about timing because our friends at Pfizer and Moderna held back their announcement of these things until Mr. Trump a week after the election, right? And and had they announced it two days before the election, I don't think there would have been even any contested issue about it. I think he would have been clearly won in a landslide that nobody would have would have argued about. And so, but they announced it a week later, so then Mr. Biden can own it, right? And uh, and it was done intentionally, and they all went with it. And so this this is so the last two years in Hollywood has been this religion where if you critiqued if you critiqued these pharmaceuticals. And again, I don't even call them vaccines. I call them pharmaceuticals. I personally think the polio vaccine is a great vaccine. You take it, you don't get polio. Problem solved, right? You know, you know that that's a great that's a that's what that's the yeah. original definition of a vaccine, right? To create immunity. That's they changed that definition two years ago. Well, you just, know what I what I say is that you know I, I don't I don't call them vaccines just because it would be an insult to vaccines. That 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 was my thing. It's it's like it's like you know I got the measles I got well I don't have to worry about these things no more right and so you know people you know I was talking to a neighbor of mine just last week and she was like you know she she and her mom had taken everything including every booster so we're going like six seven shots now and like oh my mom went down with COVID two weeks and this is like this is twenty this is April twenty or March of twenty twenty three oh my mom got hit by by COVID and she was knocked out for like ten days I was like after six injections well it could have been much worse I'm like. Uh, how do you know that? I mean, that's a that's an article of faith. 
I know people, I know people, you and I both know people that don't have nothing flowing in their systems who are doing perfectly fine. I know older people who have nothing flowing in their systems who got who were doing great, who had this thing. It was a couple of days of a cold and they were done. So I was like, uh, that's just an article of faith that you took six of these things and you're knocked out for 10 days and it would have been worse. That's just a religious belief. I mean, there's okay. no there's no evidence of that. And so that's just what you need to tell yourself, right? And, and again, it was all it was all about it. And all of this remains. If we look at the comments on deadline, you know, comments, majority, I think, of the comments are people say, well, you know, it, it was all these irresponsible anti-vaxxers that forced this to go on for long. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? What are you, what are you talking about? This thing, this, this thing ain't stopping no transmission? You know, what, what, so what, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. You know, like I said, I take the polio shot. I'm done. I'm done. I got, I got no worry about polio no more. You know, I'm not worried most. about giving it to anybody else. I'm not worried about getting it myself. <laughs> and so I was like, what are you guys all talking about here? It is, it's this, it's, it's, I, it's hard to penetrate it because it all comes down to shut up Trumper. I'm like, but, but, I didn't, but I'm not a Trumper. I can tell you my critiques of Mr. Trump. I can point out to individual policies. So, but that's what is this about? Have you all lost your minds? And the answer is yes. <laughs> that is, it's so funny. I, you, you got so worked up. I could, I could start hearing that the Pakistani coming out of you for a second. Yeah, no, you can't. Uh, the accent comes out with my radio. Yeah, yes, it's hilarious. <laughs> but you know, but that's the thing. It's, it's so. I mean, I said this before as well. You know, Trump completely broke these people, yeah. and you know, and and the pandemic, aka lockdowns. You know, whatever you want to refer to it as, just was an extension of that. And I mean, mm -hmm. just even on the inside, uh, you know, the in, in the theater world especially. I mean, I, I, I say all the time that as bad as it is in Hollywood, it's like ten times more concentrated in the in the theater in New York and, oh, and they'll create drama on stage you'll have you'll have you'll have actors yelling at somebody whose whose mask falls off their nose they'll stop the performance to yell and then talk to the trades about how righteous they are like have you you're all crazy <laughs> I love it I love the passion so much because it because it's just so it's so absurd and ridiculous. I mean, there came a time, probably around maybe late 2021. I, I just, I realized that there would that there's no point. There's really no point in trying to reason with any of these people because it's not about data anymore. It's not about science. It's not about um, you know what's going on. It's just it, it is it is it's it's a it's it's a religion. It's a cult. And they and the thing about it is that they, I, I, I if they can't understand or if, or if they refuse to understand something as basic as the damn things don't stop you from getting sick you know that at that point i mean what what can you really say and on top of that a lot of people are are straight up lying they're just lying and and so they can continue to work i'm like really do you really expect um, you know, actors or people in an industry that's full of people who will do anything to get ahead, people who will do anything to, to have the spotlight on themselves. You know, of course, people are going to like, kind of bend the rules and go around. And well, there the was irony, a big black market in L.A. for for I fake uh, pharmaceuticals cards. That I was bet. a big, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but I mean, so now, you know, it seems like it's coming to uh, an end finally. But now I'm at a point where, you know, I just feel like people keep asking me, are you going to go back? Do you want to return to acting? And I just it feels like um, I just I don't trust these people anymore. Um, you know, at least in, they revealed in, themselves. They, they, they showed me who they really are. And in, in the theater realm, uh, especially, it's like to see. I mean, I did a podcast with a woman named uh, Laura Osnes, who was um, who she was sort of outed. I mean, and, and, and the irony is that she was highly, highly COVID conscious, right? She, you know, was taking all these precautions. And when she found out, we did a workshop together, um, a virtual workshop of this new musical. And she found out I, was, I had a job, you know, this was like late 
2020, I think. And, um, you know, I was working at a nightclub where literally every night I'm shaking hands and in yeah. people's faces. And, you know, that's where I got the, uh, the virus. And, mm -hmm. um, but she, you know, I mentioned that I had a job and she's, she's like, <gasps> but she, um, you know, there was this ridiculous story that came out in the New York Post that that claimed that she was fired from a one night gig, a concert, because she hadn't um, taken the shot. And then all these people made all these other I mean, there were all these inflammatory remarks that were never made. And people were, you know, and people still base their opinions of her um, on this one article. That's why she's suing them for defamation. But the way that she's been treated, people like me have been treated. Um, it's, it's just really unbelievable. So why would I want to work alongside people who've revealed themselves to be either, uh, you know, uh, data illiterate or just segregationists? Um, control, control freaks, control yeah. freaks, fanatics, cultists. I mean, there's, there's all yeah. these words for it. You know, it just, uh, just a, you know, you know, and it, it really affected the writers as well. The writers didn't talk about it much. The I because you know most writers are just isolated in the room and whatever they could get right. away with. There's a, whereas actors had to be on set, zone A, and all of this, right? And and so, uh, but uh, but even as of uh, about three weeks ago, I remember uh, the you know the Writers Guild is going through its negotiations right now with the producers for its next contract, and you know so they're doing their round of trying to convince the the board, trying to convince the the writers that they're making the right strategic decisions, and so they're you know, in person meetings where of course you cannot attend an in person meeting without vaccination, right? You have to show your vaccination card. You can't go to the Writers Guild right now without a vaccination card. They say That's that right, yeah. They say it on the phone when you call, right? The automatic recording is what it says, right? Uh, but you know, but but out of compassion for people who can't show up in LA or maybe might not even have the card, they did a few Zoom uh, things. And I I remember uh, you know being on 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 a discussion board with with some of my screenwriter friends uh, who were commenting, and I think one one person uh, who was asking the board questions uh, on the Zoom was a woman that that was expressing frustration with with how the writers guild everybody had gone along with all these these pharmaceuticals rules and all these things and i watched in fascination as the writers board my friends all started mocking her in just typing on the boards for each other the chat boards whatever and i was like this is two weeks ago and i'm like this is your fellow colleague who's a smart writer who's asking intelligent questions about well, we went along with this stuff, right? And we're supposedly educated people that can understand data, that can understand risk analysis. Allegedly, we're writers, right? We're not we're not wacky actors like we like to think of them, right? right? You know, we are grounded, rational people who write <laughs> things, write words, right? We are well read. And and she's raising an, an important point. Of course, the board dismissed her and you know snickered. And and then watching my colleagues, who I otherwise like in every other respect, doing that, it broke my heart. This is two weeks ago. So they are full fledged into it. They will never acknowledge that this was a mistake. They will never acknowledge uh, that they mistreated people uh, because they're safe in the security of everybody else thinks this way. And even if they don't believe it, they're going to say it. Well, you're presuming that they're thinking, you know, it reminds me of a, um, you know, I was, I, I befriended this uh, German girl, uh, you know, this was many, many years ago. And, you know, it and it was funny because I sort of had to um, explain to her about, you know, American slavery and why people talk about racism all the time here. And I was, I was a little more woke back then than I, than I am now. Um, now I'm awake. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, but she just says, but I asked her about, you know, the events in Germany and she just goes, well, people just don't talk about it. They, 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 they don't, they don't acknowledge it. They don't talk about it. You know, I mean, I, I can imagine a million reasons why, but, you know, for the longest time I said to myself, you know, I want some kind of accountability, some kind of revenge, some, so at yeah. least an, at least an apology. And I, and at a certain point, I just, I know that it's never, it's never coming. 
It's never going it won't to come work. in this generation. It won't come in this generation of people. I think history will look back at this period in the same way that history looks back at lobotomies. You know, that everyone went along with this. Everyone went along with this, at least in Europe and America. I don't know if everyone in Africa was doing lobotomies, but, you know, all those you know, primitive peoples in Middle East and Africa, where I don't know how many lobotomy was popular there, it was quite popular here in our brilliant secular, you know, postmodern world. People were ramming stuff into needles into people's brains and shutting their emotions off and doing horrible things. And that, they were, the last lobotomies were done in the 80s, in the 80s. Right. And now we look back, like they were out of their minds for a century. They were all out of their minds for a century. And, uh, you know, there's doctors going back 100 years ago. This lobotomy thing sounds crazy to me. Right. And they're all being shut down. Right. And so so that's how history is going to look back at this period. Uh, none of these people care because they're they're not. They don't care. I mean, most, most of these people, they're not looking for their legacy. Most of these people just, yeah, they're just they're trying to make a buck. They're trying to get something done here, right? They're trying to, and they just want to be secure with everybody else. And, and, you know, as as a friend of mine, someone very close to when I was explaining some of these facts that you and I are talking about, something, uh, she said to me, "Stop! I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know this. I can't function in the world. I would lose all my friends. I would I would be fired from my job if I believe these things that you're telling me. I can't function in the world, so I don't want to know them." Yeah. Okay. That's it. And that's and that's you know it just goes back to this extreme amount of cowardice and compliance. I mean, and it's funny I I do take your point about it. I mean because you expect actors to be to be ridiculous and over the top and overly emotional and not know shit. You know, you, well, they're, they're feeling the passion of the moment. You know, they, we we care so much about the vulnerable and you know so whatever, fine. But but they shouldn't be driving these decisions. But but it's just this idea that uh, and and. It, it extends to other topics, obviously, as well as as you well know, is that you know the the the, the levels of conformity and and compliance and just fear fear of stepping out of line at all is just I I can't believe that that uh, this is an industry that uh, that ostensibly is an industry of artists and artists are you know ostensibly people who should value freedom of expression and and free speech and yada yada yada. Um, where people are just, they're afraid. They're they are utterly afraid. And I say all the time, you know, it's an R&R &R industry, relationships and reputation. People want to protect both of those so they can continue so they can continue working. Nobody wants to ruffle feathers. Nobody wants to be considered difficult. And worse of all, you know, you can you can have all kinds of allegations uh, uh, thrown, thrown your way about, uh, I don't know, being a, being a, a, a groomer or, or a cult leader, um, you know, or other kinds of abuse, shall we say, and um, you'll still be fine as long as you have the right beliefs, you know, as long as you're not, you know, a, a conservative uh, or a libertarian or anything like that. Or, and, and if you are, then keep your mouth shut. And I'm thinking to myself, that's so stupid to me. I know actors who who have, you know, they, they know they can't say their true feelings because they know it's going to damage their careers. And it's just, I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, there's, you know, I'm somebody who's like, look, if you're a socialist or a communist, I mean, I'm sure we've both worked with many, um, oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that your belief system is ridiculous and genocidal, but I don't think you should be barred from, from working. You know, how, my, my main concern is how do we work together in a scene? What's our chemistry? Can we match harmonies? You know, what, what ideas do you bring to the table? Are you fun to play with and, and, and work with? That's what, that's what should matter because we're serving the audience at the end of the day, as you say. Um, but no, it's really all about, are you in our club or not? And, you know, it just, and that's, that's really all that's, that matters to them. And the last thing that I'll say about this, and then we should probably move on because we've been on this for like, <laughs> no, no, but we, I, I'd like to transition with, I, I want to give an example. Well, well, hold on, hold on. I want to give, and then we'll transition. Yes. Because, because the thing is, you know, I think, but I think the thing is, and I felt this way for a long time now is that, you know, the people who are swept up in the fear and in the hysteria, I can forgive them. 
They bought into it. They don't watch any other, you know, they, they think that Colbert and Kimmel and MSNBC and the New York Times are actually keeping them somewhat informed. It's really sad, but that's what they think. And I can forgive them for being afraid because you know what? I was there too for the first few months of 2020. The mm -hmm. people that, that really, that I have no respect for at this point are those who know that what was going on was wrong. And yet they just they decided to keep their heads down. I had, I had one person say to me that, you know, they, they, they said, well, I didn't want to commit professional suicide. And that was the end of our relationship because um, I just I, I just had no respect for that. I just said if, if more people had stood up and said no and put their necks on the line, then we would have this wouldn't have been an issue. The Postal Workers Union did that mm -hmm. and said, no, we're not doing this. And they don't have mandates for themselves. But people just, you know. They said, well, I'm getting, like you said, I'm making my book. I'm getting my face out there. People telling me I'm pretty and special. I got my movies out. I got my series out. I'm, you know, I, I have health insurance. I, I can pay for my car and my house and everything. So I'm just going to go along or, or I'm, I'm going to lie. And that, that is what I really have no respect for at the end of the day, that those people that I, I can't ever, I don't think I'll ever find in my heart to, <laughs> to, to, to forgive. And, and tragically, that's the majority of our industry, uh, you know. Yeah. I will say this, you know, for, for all my, you know, uh, jostling about actors, the reality is the actors have stood up to this. Writers didn't. Writers went along. Like I said, writers went along full fledged onto this. I think directors went along with it, right? It was the, it, it, you know, you you have people in this in SAG who came out and said you had leadership of SAG that said we don't like this, right? You know, who who risked their reputations and damaged their reputations, right? Uh, and so uh, I have to, you know, I have to credit them uh, for having the guts because, as you know, actors is the most unstable part of our profession. Yeah. It is the highest risk part of our profession. It is a, you know, majority of people in SAG after aren't making much money, right? You know, uh, you know, and so it's uh, for them to put themselves out there and then stand as you did publicly. I mean, it took more courage. Writers completely folded. Uh, I remember, I remember sitting on a uh, on a one of my many those dumb Zoom calls we did everybody because we're all afraid to get together whenever well, the rest of the country was getting together. Well, we all got to do a Zoom call, right? Because we might get each other sick, right? So we're all yeah. doing this Zoom call a few months ago, and uh, you know, and then as usual, and this this is what like December of last year, and 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 this mantra, the standard mantra begins. Oh, I had COVID yesterday. Oh, I got COVID. Oh, it's just like I finally I was listening to this right, and I finally I said I said it very politely, and I said it. I'm so looking forward to not mentioning COVID ever again. And they were shaken because it was like, it was like, but you don't want to go to communion? You don't want to go to Friday prayers at the mosque? I mean, that was the reaction. I was like, what do, what do you mean? I was like, I don't want to talk about COVID. Can we just talk about the project now? I don't want to talk about it. I mean, I was literally, you're fine. Like, you have COVID? Uh, I don't see any, you don't have sniffles. Can we just go on? Right. I mean, uh, and I said that very politely. I said, hey, you know, I'm looking for to not talk about this again. So back to the project. And people were all taken aback. And there was a moment of silence because they didn't know what to do. I was like, yeah, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm done with it. They, they, they can't let it go. They just, they can't let it go. And I just, I really don't, I mean, honestly, I feel like part of the problem, you know, or part of the reason is, I mean, that they've been so heavily propagandized. Um, I mean, I don't know if these people will ever, will ever be right. I mean, I, well, we won't, we won't catastrophize. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll, they'll figure it out at some point, but it's just, it's been so ridiculous to just be living a, a normal life and um, to see these people completely still caught up in, in the hysteria. Um, but uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, switch I, gears. I, I feel like uh, <laughs> we can go on about this. Forever. We can go on this forever, but, but the good thing is something is changing and we are, this will be a milestone assuming they don't, they don't backtrack on this. And I don't think they will because they know the industry is, burned out of it we're moving forward now well you know i mean the the industry as a whole i mean i i'm sort of 
I don't know what the state of the industry is right now because so much of it um, seems to be in in flux. And I know you've been really burning up the uh, burning up the fiber optic waves lately and talking about uh, what's been going on with Disney. And I mean, you know, you've been talking about the the FTX scandal and how or as with the STX scandal that works uh, and and how that might figure into all of this. And um, I mean, you can take as long as you want, because like, what the hell is going on at Disney right now? Because they they seem to be having a really, really tough time. Well, I've been talking about it for a few years, both on you know some of these YouTube videos, and then I, I started Patreon about eighteen months ago, and that's become a predominant thing. I worked at Disney uh, some years back. I was the head writer for the Tron animated series, which you can all watch on Disney Plus. It's been re-released on Disney Plus. It's called Tron Uprising, uh, and and at least the first half it was good before I got fired for having a big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we'll be that. So, but I got to see the inner inner inter workings of Disney, and I I got to understand the the because it's a very different uh, studio than the others, and the studios are all my Machiavellian. Uh, when I got the job, my lawyer called me and said, uh, you want to be careful there. That, that's not a normal place. <laughs> and the very first day, and this will tie into what's been happening. The very first day I arrived, I'm, I'm running the show. I'm meeting my writers. I put up a board. We're talking about the story arcs and the executives come in, everything. I'm full of passion, as you can see, and energy. This is my personality. And at the end of the day, I'm so excited. It's my first time running a show. And then at the end of the day, one of the executives, a uh, female executive said, hey, why don't you come into my office, do a first day look back, right? And I said, sure, great. Uh, I walk in, she said, close the door, she closed the door. She goes, so uh, you come across as very honest, straightforward uh, person with integrity. <laughs> not going to help you here. <laughs> she said, that's not, not going to help you here. <laughs> she said, you, he said, already, I, she said, I believe you are this person. I actually believe you are this person of integrity and honesty and straightforwardness, right? But everyone else now thinks you're that guy who's played the nice guy card. He's going to angle them, right? He's trying to, and, and I was like, what are you talking about? And she's having this conversation with me. She said, I think I would, I would be a little more cautious about how you phrase things here because everything is kind of taken. People try to understand the machination behind it. I was like, what? And that's, I mean, she had that. She was trying to be nice to me and I didn't change my personality. I remained straightforward honest and that got me fired after six months because they just couldn't take it, right? Because everyone has to play this chess game inside of Disney. That's the culture. So that, brings us to where we are today. So Disney has been- And hold on, so so, and you weren't like, you know, making personal attacks. It was all about the work, wasn't it? Like we should change this, that this would work better. This moment would be better. We shouldn't, you know, it was like all about keeping it professional, right? Yeah, 100% about The reason I was fired was that, you know, we had fallen off of schedule. I was very strict on schedule. I created a calendar very first day arrived that, you know, because they were, they told me these are the dates, the final scripts have to be in so we can get our animators in Asia, China, and Japan, and we do some really special animation. They needed an advance. So with the, I worked backwards from those dates, made sure all the drafts were in on time, but they were, you know, within any, as you know, within any studio structure. There's people, various people have to give approvals to every script. And there were there were certain people up the line that that were not meeting the schedule, that I would give them the script, I would hear back to them for two weeks. And I was like, uh, we really need to move forward. You know, we're getting off of schedule here. And it was sometimes be three weeks or even a month before I would get the feedback on it, right? And it was threw us off schedule. Uh, and so finally, it, it, we were several months off schedule because of these this bottleneck of some specific people in the process who weren't day-to-day -day involved in the show, but they had they had to give notes. That was their authority, right? And they and so finally, uh, we're looking at the budget of it. That now we have all these overtime for these animators in Asia, and it's costing a lot of money. And I sat down doing my job, I thought, as a showrunner with the executive said, look, let's look at the finances right now. This is not going to be good for us, right? We need to fix this process. And I've identified these are the two people. We all know they're not giving notes on time. They're not responding to emails or calls because they got lots of other stuff going on. And they don't care to, right? But they won't They won't. They won't get out of the process. So I said, I'm, I think you should talk to them and say either they, from this moment on, either 
they give notes on the day that they're supposed to, or they're going to, we're just going to presume that there are no notes and we're going to move forward to the next step. Right. And, and so you just have, because I don't have the ability to talk. These people are higher up on the chain than I am, but you can talk to them. They all stared at me with a nice smile on their face. The next day I was fired. No one was going to make that phone call to tell these people to get on uh, to they and, and when I was fired, I said to them, okay, so obviously I said to this is basically I said, okay, you're gonna let me go. And uh so now I'm gonna say a few things before I walk out of the office. And one of the things you all know where the problem is in this process. You all know it. You don't have the courage, and I was blunt, I don't care because they let me go. I said, you all don't have the courage to face this. So this is what's gonna happen to your show. You're gonna replace me with uh, with someone who's gonna be a yes man, who's gonna just do whatever these characters say. And it's just going to let the situation get worse and worse. And what's going to happen is this this will be so off schedule and so it will become financially unviable and you will be canceled at the end of first se- uh, the season one. Even though this is Tron, this is supposed to be a major new franchise before they had bought Star Wars. This was in 2010. They bought Star Wars in 2012. This was going to be the big thing. And this was their, that Disney was putting all eggs in this basket. I said, this is a mistake. You're going to ruin this next franchise that you need to build now. And they said, well, thank you very much for opinions. Here's your box. Go. And I said, I left, right? Uh, six months later, the show was canceled with the Yes Man. Yes Man came in, did everything instead of warned was going to happen. Show was canceled. And that franchise, you haven't heard, you haven't heard about Tron in the last decade, have you? They're still trying to relaunch it. And they ha- they were on the verge of a new franchise that they ruined because I they didn't have the courage to call somebody and say, look, we need you to actually you know, meet the deadlines. And that's how Disney works. So that's the world of Disney. So that was 2010. We are now in 2023. So that's 13 years later. And so the process, the kind of dysfunctional corporate structure that I saw there uh, was was widespread and was going to lead to a lot of mismanagement. And so I'm going to make a very quick synopsis of what happened in the last decade. So during the time that I was there, Bob Iger, who was the CEO, then was removed as the CEO and has come back as a CEO very bizarrely, uh, was was running the ship. And he is essentially a politician. You know, he's his goal was his goal. He's very honest about it in his book. He's like he wanted to become president of the United States. So his goal was to be the popular guy. He's the popular kid in school. And so in that 2010s period that I talked about, 2000, uh, you know, he saw he thought what was popular in Hollywood was all this wokey woke stuff where everyone's talking about gender and identity and this and that, right? And so he's like, oh, that's where that's where it's all going. And I, so he stuffed the company with all these wokey woke people, right? He filled the whole system with it, HR everywhere, and HR people coming in, let's bring in some more wokey woke people, right? And so the whole company was filled with these people that had a social political agenda that was perhaps not aligned with traditional family film making because they thought they were going to revolutionize the world by changing the foundations of the family, right? And children were going to be taught certain gender ideas and all these things, and that's going to change the world because they were revolutionaries. And they were brought in by Agar, who just thought that's where the system was going. Uh, that led to a lot of disastrous movies like The Last Jedi, which ruined the Star Wars franchise. Other and then many people were unhappy with where you know Lightyear, dozens of other movies and projects that a lot of people felt this ain't my Disney anymore. I don't want to watch this stuff anymore. My kids, I don't want my kids seeing this stuff. I don't know what they're talking about anymore. This is just oh, I just want family friendly stuff. Yeah, I'm not getting it here. So Disney started losing money, as you pointed out earlier in this podcast. You know, for these feudalists, fake capitalists, they only think about making money. They never think about losing money, right? Because <laughs> they're used to it going one way because they, you know, they're not, they don't understand how economics works. Right? And so, so now, to the shock of everyone, Disney started losing money rapidly. Uh, it was in bad place and it got a bad PR situation. Uh, and it began to be branded by conservatives as the anti-family company, right? Uh, and so... In the process of this, there was internal pressures because of the stock price dropping at 20, 30%. Uh, you know, the... Uh, Bob Iger was forced to step down. 
pardon me, forced to step down. He was replaced by this sort of unknown figure, to Hollywood at least, Bob Chapek, who came out of the parks. We didn't know who he was. You know, we were like, who's this guy? He didn't really have any relation. He's not, he's not hanging out with Tom Cruise. Who's this guy, right? Uh, but all right, he's a new guy. And he was brought in because what he had done at the parks was he was a ruthless cost cutter, right? And he would he would he would decapitate people that weren't productive, and he got that done in the parks. And so, the, obviously, the chairman of the board, Susan Arnold, who uh, you know who was trying to save the company, brought him in. All right, you're going to have to start cleaning house here. And he tried to. Uh, if you recall, last year he put out this whole memo that they you know, and a memo that he was like, you know, when all this Florida you know gay rights thing, whatever, all that stuff that that bill that everyone is upset about, you know, came out. He said Disney's not going to get involved in this, even though you know we have large investments in Florida, we got D Disneyland there, whatever. We're just going to stay out of this because he was trying to get the company away from politics and get returned it to Middle America. And he said that bluntly in the memo, and he immediately became the villain of Hollywood. Immediately became you're an anti-LGBTQ, all this stuff, and. He endured a year of many machinations, what I talked about in videos and Patreons, where he would outsmart his enemies. And But then surprisingly, uh, October, November last year, where it looked like he had actually defeated all of his adversaries. He had removed this guy, Peter Rice, who was gunning for his job. It looked like he was on his way. He had put out a plan that he was going to do all these uh, uh, the layoffs and start essentially cleaning house at Disney and removing a lot of these wokey wokesters, right, who were causing the problem. And then mysteriously, he gets removed fired without you know without any public explanation that has still made any sense over weekend basically the board had an emergency meeting without him one weekend and he was at an elton john concert introducing elton john when some a guy basically shows him, you gotta get off the stage you're not the ceo of disney anymore this is bizarro moment right and and then he went complete radio silence we haven't heard a word from him right he was paid off something like 30 million bucks in an nda and vanished and the next day bob Iger returned to power this is a bizarre thing that happened and so I was trying to make sense of it. And to this day, nothing actually makes sense of it because initially people said, well, Chapek made so many enemies. Iger's going to, you know, Hollywood assumed Iger was coming back in to stop all of Chapek's ruthless cost cutting and getting rid of their wokey woke friends and all of that, right? But what did Iger do? He immediately started doing Chapek's plan. In fact, he announced more than Chapek. Chapek was going to cut like a couple of thousand people. Iger comes and says, we're going we're to cut 7,000 people. And the first thing he cuts is the DEI people. The first people he lets go are the are the progressive woke agenda hirers inside of HR who are filling the company with these people. And most controversial and shocking, last week, Disney fired Victoria Alonso, who was the number two at Marvel, who is proudly passionate, progressive uh, uh, political activist inside the company, very open about it. She had publicly condemned Chapek, which is shocking to me. She's the number two at Marvel and publicly condemned the CEO of the company when he wouldn't get involved in the Florida politics issue. Uh, and then she kept her job amazing enough because she's Latina, she's LGBTQ, she's a, all this and blah, blah, blah. She had all the right flags waving. So they, they felt she was, everyone thought she was untouchable. And then she was mysteriously fired last week. And they came up with some stories of, well, you know, she's working on a movie that wasn't that was for Amazon and she was supposed to be exclusive at Disney. That's just an excuse. They knew she was working on that movie. They just found whatever they could. Ah, that, that might violate this clause of contract. Get her out, right? Because they needed to get rid of her because she was the one that was pushing a lot of these progressive social messages in Marvel. And Marvel has not become a very successful company since Endgame, right? Uh, and the only good thing, in my opinion, that Marvel has produced uh, was surprisingly good was Miss Marvel. Because it actually was a return to traditional family filmmaking. It was like Little House on the Prairie with a Pakistani superhero. It was old school traditional family values thing with, with, with no – and no one's sexual identity is being talked about. No one's race is being – it's a brown woman 
It's just presumed it's a diverse cast. No one's even talking about it. It's just the characters. And we just went with it, right? So that's the only thing. And that was completely reshot. It was from Apparently from Ms. Lanza's original vision, which was a politically activist Muslim superhero, progressive Muslim superhero. Most Muslims aren't that progressive, even though we're somehow, the Democrats assume we are. We aren't. But you know, it's a pretty conservative religion. And so the, Bob Chapek had already reshot. And it goes back to a sort of traditional values family show. Uh, which is more reflective of Muslim culture, uh, even though a lot of people didn't watch it because they presumed it would be this political thing Ms. Alonzo wanted. So all that said, I have theorized because all that's all stuff Bob Chapek could have done. So why is he not there doing it, right? And so I have theorized uh, for some time now, uh, and it's just speculation, but I'm beginning to hear from sources that I'm not crazy, was that the only event, because I look at timing events, and the timing event was what happened when Bob Chapek was mysteriously released. One week before there had been the FTX collapse. Right. And right. Uh, it happened one week before and a week later, uh, he's out. And uh, I have long theorized that Disney, which had announced months before that it was going to get involved in cryptos, it announced it formally uh, that Disney had put some kind of bet either through Disney, through a subsidiary or through Bob Iger or somehow they put some large bet on FTX that went to zero, creating a financial crisis that they had to hide. Uh, and so they brought back in Iger to fix this problem. And that was strangely supported by uh, Kevin O'Leary, who is, you know, this well-known Canadian uh, stock person who talks often on CNBC. And, uh, you know, and so he was being interviewed uh, about FTX. He had been a spokesman for FTX. And people were asking him, well, how come none of you saw the, the, the warning signs that this thing was going to collapse? And he said, well, there are a lot of smart people that didn't see the warning signs, such as Iger, and they immediately cut his mic. They cut his mic at Iger and they changed the conversation, right? So he dropped Bob Iger's name as being involved in FTX. And so we know Iger was somehow involved. And this is after the Chapek thing. So I've theorized for some time that there's an FTX scandal there. Uh, I'm hearing rumors from more people that you're, you're actually correct and they're doing their work. This is the biggest, they, they have to cover this up. That's why there's something rapidly firing all these people, talking about selling Hulu, talking about selling ESPN, because they got to cover this financial hole. Because if people find out about this, you know, everyone's going to go to jail, right? <laughs> the wow. board's all in trouble, right? That's my theory. And it certainly fits with the behavior patterns, setting all that. So that's what I, what we know objectively is happening and my theory. But the bizarre thing about the clip, now thank you for letting me just talk and talk here, because I just had to get this out like a fire hose. But the interesting thing is, so I've been perceived, I've been attacked as being this crazy guy with weird theories and whatever. And who is this guy? And is he really a screenwriter? I, have I seen anything of his recently? I don't know. I've literally like, well, I was the last he worked on. So I was a co-executive producer on this show. Ah, I was two years ago. And I was like, I'm, I'm still in the game. I sold a show. Ah, I don't believe you. So people literally say, this guy is a, has been, I'm like, no, I'm a working screenwriter. I, I pay my bills by selling things. Whatever. People don't believe it. So whatever. Uh, hopefully they'll be able to, I'll be able to announce a few things too. They will believe it. But I would be attacked a lot on the YouTube videos. Uh, and a lot of people were mocking me. And, but Strangely, it appears that people outside of this YouTube community of fans and whatever had noticed my commentary. And then when Victoria Alonso was let go, Fortune magazine quoted me. They went into one of the videos on YouTube I talked about. Fortune magazine <laughs> quoted me as a as a Disney expert, a screenwriter and Disney expert, Cameron Pasha, because I was the only one willing to say the day she was fired, that she was fired because everyone was so afraid of her. Everyone's like, well, even Deadline's like, we don't know the details of her being relieved. I mean, you know, it's like she was obviously fired because of her loudmouth political views, right? And that's, and I said that and nobody was willing to say it in all of Hollywood. They couldn't get anyone to say it. And then a week later, Ms. Alonzo says it and says, I'm going to sue Disney for firing me for my aggressive political views. <laughs> but I, but they had to go to me because I was the only one willing to say it on the record. And they quoted me as a Disney expert, which made me laugh my butt off, right? Because here I am with my wacko theories of FTX or whatever, and Fortune Magazine is putting me out there as you got to listen to this guy about Disney. Okay. That is hilarious. You know, and it also makes me think about, um, 
Gosh, well, it's so much more complicated, is it, uh, than, uh, isn't it, than uh, get woke, go broke, as they say. But it, 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 it's, it also makes me wonder about, um, you know, the, the changing landscape of the industry. And, you know, so we see channels like, you know, Midnight's Edge, which is one of my favorites. I know you're, you're, you're on there all the time. But, you know, critics like uh, The Critical Drinker, um, who's been on this podcast, Nerdrotic, the same, who, you know, or, uh, or what's his name, uh, Oba, Doomcock. Mm -hmm. um, who are getting all these inf all this information, right? And, you know, rumors, a lot of it, rumors and speculation. Um, but they're, but they're putting it out there, and they seem to be they seem to be having an impact. And so it's just funny because I'm thinking about this idea that on inside inside the the cabal, if you will, I don't know, um, the, this little it's a total cabal. It's a total cabal. Well, you know. but in, inside of it, you know, they're they're so afraid of rocking the boat and saying the wrong things and yada yada yada. But yet, you know, one of the reasons that I I began to really gravitate toward a lot of these channels is because I felt like they were very highly representative of the fans and, and, and the general audience and the general public, the things that the general public is actually thinking and, and want to express for themselves. And it's like, and they've, they've been right so many times, you know, that uh, it, it, I just, it just, you know, it, it makes me wonder how much of the, in this new era that we're in right now, where we have content creators and the internet um, who really have rendered you know i call it the machine and and because when i was inside of it you know when my career began to take off mm -hmm. I, you know i i saw how it kind of works how the sausage is made where they you have the critics darlings for instance where you know i'm sitting there doing a show and because this other actress has awards and, and a name you know she gets all the the recognition and yada, yada yada meanwhile i know i'm doing like some fantastic work and you know but i i don't have that recognition I, you know i make a joke like i've been upstaging stars for years now but no one cares because <laughs> i don't have because i don't have a publicist you know what i mean and there came a point where i had a, an agent and a manager and a publicist at a, at a certain point and which is very expensive and um it, it i i began to see like oh i get it now you know, the right people have to say that you are the next big thing, the right people, you know, the right publications, the right outlets have to say it doesn't matter if you're actually any good or not. No, you have it's to be anointed. That... You're anointed by the system. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm seeing what's happening with uh, with Jonathan Majors right now. Now, this is, this is not this is not anything about him as a person or him as a performer. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he went to Yale, so that's a strike against him. But that's uh, that's neither here nor there. I got to say, my, it, uh, everyone I've met from Yale is kind of a dickhead, little dickhead. <laughs> It's um, a look, they're a little bit off. God so bless look, So look, guys, um, this, this is a whole, this is a digression. I'm, so I'm glad you said <laughs> forgive, that. But, forgive me all so, you Yaleys that are listening to this. I don't know if they would dare to listen to this. No, here, no, here's the thing, because the people that, that come out of Yale that, that are great would yeah. have been great anywhere they went, you know? So, so for people who don't know, like, you know, in, in the United States, there's the, there's the big three conservatories. There's the, there's Juilliard, there's the Yale School of Drama, and then there's where I went, which is the NYU Graduate Acting Program. And, you know, literally everyone you talk to about, People who come out of Yale, it's just like they just have a, everyone I've yet I've met, even for, even friends, except for the my friends, they're, they're cool. But uh, <laughs> you know, they just they have this like weird kind of stick up up their ass, and you know, and and it's just it's just really really. It's bizarre, like the Harvard so. Law School student because I went to Cornell right. Law, School, which is a great law school, uh, and but I went to visit a friend at Harvard, and they were so pompous, and it made me yes. laugh because because it came, the pomposity came out of insecurity because it, 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 law school the perception is Yale has the best law school, so Harvard's number two, so they're all like people that didn't get into Yale Law School and they're bitter about going to Harvard, so they have to make a big drama about it. <laughs> well, well, here's here's the thing because I think they're sort of like they're 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 still coasting on on prestige of like you know Lloyd Richards and yada yada yada. Now there's a, there's a teacher there. I think he just retired though named Ron Van Lu who's legendary but he what Ron Van Lu was at NYU 
And, and the thing about that, and here's the story about this that I love that, that talks about you know, the differences between these two programs. And it's a bit of, it's, it's kind of dick measuring, but not really. I think, I mean, I think Juilliard is still a great program. They've been a great pro pro program for a long time. They've introduced us to a lot of great actors over the decades that, that it's been, uh, that it's been with us. But, um, but with the, so, so at the end of each um, of your tenure there at the school, you do what's called a showcase, folks. And so you, that means you're in front of all these agents and casting directors. And that's one of the reasons you go to these schools, right? Because you don't want to be, you don't get your master's from Yale or NYU, or you don't go to Juilliard because you want to be a teacher. You know, mm -hmm. it's somewhere in Vermont, you know, no offense to Vermonters, but you, you go, you go there because you're ambitious and you want to be a serious actor with a capital A and you want to get seen. I mean, you know, I had an agent before I left um, um, the, the school. I was taking meetings at Warner Brothers and CW and CBS and so on and so forth. That's why you go there to, to one of these schools. You, you have big, big uh, aspirations. So you're at this showcase. And so Yale, NYU and the third school that I won't mention um, usually did these um, their showcase together. And so this particular year, which is my first year of, of, uh, of being at NYU, um, I got to watch the showcase. You get to volunteer and help out, you know, because they do it uh, at at NYU on their campus. And um, the the final scene that that Yale did, or one of the final scenes, was a a scene from some Martin McDonough play, which is really really funny. Uh, and then the one of the first scenes that NYU did was a different cutting of that same scene. Oh, and okay. let me tell you, let me tell you the difference between. And I, and I really tried to be objective about it and not biased. But, you know, with the Yale actors, they just seemed really, really stiff and wooden. I could barely hear their voices. They didn't seem very expressive and in their bodies, as we say in the industry. Like, they didn't seem to be in their bodies and really connected. The NYU scene, it was kinetic. It was, uh, it was tense. It was funny. It was violent. It felt very lived in. Both of the actors, I mean, you know, for their, 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 their presence on stage was just so much more massive. And I asked one of my teachers, I said, I said, you know, Deb, you know, because she taught at both schools, no loyalty. But uh, I said, why, why is it that uh, I could notice these differences in between the actors? And she goes, well, the thing is that NYU actors, they just have more chops. And, you know, when you go to Yale, you're in class from like 9 a.m. to maybe 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. And then you go to all these different workshops or whatever, yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, at NYU, you know what we were doing? I mean, we'd be in class from 9 to 6. And it's not like, you know, we're sitting at our desks writing. You know, we're on our feet. We're doing breathing stuff. You know, heavy, you know we had like, uh, like aerobics classes, you know, dance classes. Uh, um, uh, uh, what else? Like yoga twice a week. I mean, we had, they, they wore us out. And so you'd have class from like 9 to 6. Then you had an hour break. And if you were doing a show, you were rehearsing from 7 to 11. Now, meanwhile, you still had stuff to, you know, you had to memorize your song for singing class, your scene for scene study. You had to do your, your Greek messenger speech for voice and text class. So you are, you are working yourself to the bone. And you're just, you're in, you're, just you're getting your 10,000 hours. You're getting exactly. your 10,000 hours of actual experience. Right, right. So you, you are fit and you are healthy and you are in shape. And that's the difference. You know, it, it's literally chops. And so people say, you know, they, they have this idea that they conflate celebrities with actors and stars or whatever. And it's like, no, the, the real true blue actors, I mean, people like Mahershala Ali, Sterling yeah. Brown, um, yeah. Denai Guerrero, they all went to the same, Michael C. Hall uh, from Dexter. We all went to the same uh, to the same school, and that's one of the reasons that they're so great and so versatile. And part of it is just because they they, they literally spent more hours in class busting their ass. So that's a really really long digression. But uh, but the thing about Jonathan Majors is that you know I see all these headlines, and it's like it's great when you're hot and you're getting all these all these um, jobs and careers kind of you know or you know falling into your lap. But I'm seeing people in these circles, right, in these online communities, they're saying to themselves like 
okay, who is this dude? I mean, is he, is he even like, he, he seems okay, but I, I don't get it. So it goes back to this, this idea that that's how the machine works. It tries to manufacture, you, you know, the, these stars and these tastes. And, um, you know, but Denzel never needed any, any of that, you know, Lawrence Fishburne or, or, you know, Viola Davis, or, you know, any of these other people they they never needed to have this machine behind them. They emerged because they're so extraordinary. And, uh, but meanwhile, so the, the whole point of all of this is, is about how, you know, once you're in the machine and you see, okay, you get anointed, as you say, and, you know, then you get that one job that kind of changes everything. Okay. But, you know, it's just, it's so manufactured. And yet we have this machine now, this other machine, you know, this other realm of, you know, the fandom or the internet or these commentators who can, who are commenting on it and they're not really buying all that stuff. So I guess it's just, it's, it's, it's the impact of these spaces and like your commentary and, and, and the industry and how they're sort of playing off of each other. So I'm like, what, I wonder how it's shaping and molding the industry as it is right now. That's the end of my really long. <laughs> oh, but, but look, there, there are, I've witnessed it with my own eyes. You're talking about the anointment. I've seen I've seen writers being anointed. I've seen actors being anointed. I'm like, this person has no talent. This person has no fan base. And yet all we see are these press releases and these and their awards and stuff like that. Where is this coming from? It's because the industry, for whatever reasons, has chosen that person. I mean, I, I'll give you an example. I'm actually going to name them because, you know, I'll be, I'm, you know, I'll probably never work with them, but that's completely fine. Uh, but, you know, Mindy Kaling is an example to me. I'm like, I'm, I'm a Pakistani American. She's Indian. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where this fan base is that everyone keeps telling me. Right. I just, I don't know where, it, yet I keep hearing her getting awards and speaking as, you know, she's, you know, I, she was, a. am we graduated from the same college. I went to Dartmouth. She went to Dartmouth and she was invited back to be like, you know, speaker at Dartmouth. And I'm like, you know, at the graduation, I'm like, why? I mean, I don't get it. I mean, there is no fan base that I can discern outside of this illusory trades, right? And these awards she keeps getting and these being invited to the White House with Biden. I was like, what are you trying to sell here? Nobody's watching this person. Nobody cares, right? Uh, but they keep so because for whatever reason, they chose her as the as the voice of the of the progressive Indian brown woman. I, I, guess, I mean, I guess that's how they anointed it. And I was like, well, what's happening here? And I know, I know, I know incredible Indian actresses uh, you know, uh, Sheetal Sheth is someone I've worked with uh, who, you know, is one of the great actresses I've ever worked with. And she doesn't get the attention like this she, that she deserves. And she would have a global fan base if they if they gave her the opportunities she deserved. Right. Because she has that charisma and the, and the craft. But I see that and I'm like, this is this is a scam. Right. This And but the scam has come across something, which is where you were guiding us to, which is a scam has come across the Internet. You see that this is there are many dark sides to social media, many dark sides to the internet, many dark sides, literal dark sides. But the light side of it, right, the age of Aquarius positive side of it, is that it is now, you know, spread out information and given people voices. And sometimes crazy people get voices and their voices get louder. But it's also given a real perspective of what people actually want. And Hollywood has been used to controlling that for a hundred years, going back to the silent era. They're used to controlling narratives, right? Uh, and they don't know how to control this narrative because every time it's like whack-a-mole. Every time you think you've controlled this narrative, another random shows up on Twitter or YouTube or, or Rumble or whatever. And that point of view then ends up critiquing everything. For my thing on my Patreon, one of the things that's developed in the last several months is I reached a level of credibility within the average person of the industry who's being oppressed by this system, right? And that they started reaching out to me. So I have sources inside of Disney that, that I've confirmed. I've met with them. Like these are real people working at high level in Disney who know what's going on inside of Lucasfilm, inside of Disney corporate, all this stuff, who just joined my Patreon or and, and they feed me all this stuff that nobody else is getting, that the trades aren't getting. I mean, literally like this is what happened in the office today with Kathleen Kennedy at Lucasfilm. It's like they heard it with their own 
own ears, right? But none of that is getting out of the trades. And so people come join my Patreon to hear this stuff because I have actual sources who are all part of this, this oppressed system that we're in, right? Where uh, there's a few people that have been trying to control the narrative and they've lost control of the fan narrative. And what I'm now witnessing on my Patreon is they've lost control of the employee narrative. People are leaking left and right because they're fed up with this garbage. One of the Disney sources I have is just so unhappy with the kind of bad storytelling Disney's been doing uh, because they've joined Disney because they love this company and they love the stories. They love they love Marvel. They love Lucas from Monster. And they're like, what is this garbage that's being produced? And I'm here and I can't stop it, right? And I know who's doing it. It's this person, that person, and this weirdo with an agenda that nobody supports, but everyone's afraid to attack. So they came to me and said, well, I can't get the trades to notice this. I can't get the New York Times to do something about this. Cameron Pasha with his few hundred people on his Patreon will put it out there and then somebody picks it up and it suddenly is on YouTube and a million people know about it, right? And that's what's happening is this loss of absolute control of narrative external to Hollywood and internal to Hollywood. So then, then, because I've been wrestling with this question for a long time is, is, is the relevance now because, you know, I, I've said for a long time and I felt this way even before we were sort of inundated with um, unnecessary uh, wokeness, but um, you know, like the era of the movie star has been long dead. And um, you know, I, I mean, I can't think of, of, uh, you know, there's, there's a few people of like, like, like a generational cutoff, like maybe, maybe Timothy Chalfant, people like him a lot. Um, but like guys like Idris Elba and Chris Pratt and, you know, they feel like the last of a dying breed. And, and I, and I feel like now in an era where we have, you know, I mean, video games, multi-billion dollar industry, people are looking at podcasters like, like Joe Rogan, um, you know, or disruptors like a Tim pool or something like that, or, you know, I mean, critical drinker, that guy just, that, that guy could fart in, in a jar and, and it will get a million views on YouTube, you know? Um, well, he has a Patreon. I checked out his Patreon. This good good like 20,000 patrons. I like this dude's making like a million bucks a year. God bless him. I want him to get 40,000 yeah. patrons. He's a great, he's a great source. Well, well, and, and, and so it just makes me wonder like how, I mean, how relevant is, is the entertainment industry as it is, you know, as we, as we once knew it, because it seems like now uh, it just, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter as much. And like, so in the, I mean, from the outside, we look at the fanfare, you know, they do their step and repeats and the, and the red carpet and uh, you know, their, their faces are plastered over, you know, all over the place and they make these big, big releases. And it's not to say that, that, that good work isn't still being done and that great, amazing movies and series aren't still being made that, you know, you, you can't be, you can't be that sort of myopic and, 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 and willfully ignorant about that kind of thing. But it just seems like, you know, people are more interested in TikTokers and podcasters and, and YouTubers now than they are in movie stars and going to the movies. So I, I just, I guess I wonder. Okay. To an extent. Okay, to an extent. But one thing we have noticed, yes, there's absolutely, these people are getting eyeballs, they're getting views, and they're getting passionate supporters, right? They're getting people to give the money, right? The People come to my Patreon, they give me money every month to hear my perspective on things, right? Critical Drinker, God bless him, whole other level of people supporting him, and they continue, should continue to support him. I think he's a great channel, uh, you know, and so it's, there's an ex there's a limit to it though because all these TikTokers who have maybe one million, two million, three million followers who you know they all keep trying to break into Hollywood and none of them really make it right because yeah at best they might get a reality show out of it at best right you know but they simply as you, because they haven't gone through the process that you just described Clifton which is learning the craft and mastering the craft because at its best Hollywood still has 
the capacity to make remarkable things because it has the financial resources. Uh, you know, there's very few people. I was just uh, talking to John Orloff, who was one of the writers of Bands and Brothers, uh, and he, he was talking yesterday about he's he's created this new Masters of the Air, which is ten years later the sequel to that, right? Uh, and that's that's coming on Apple and. You know, we, we we just talk about how how the world has been transformed. But App, Apple, you know, gay. It's that show, Masters of the Airs, is probably budgeted maybe two three hundred million dollars for a TV series. Two to three hundred million dollars. No TikToker can can compete with that. Uh, no YouTuber can compete with that. And the que the problem has been has been those resources have been misused. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars went into making the Last Jedi, which I think is the worst movie ever made. I think it's the worst movie ever made in history, right? Uh, because unlike Planet, you know, Plan Nine from Outer Space, there was love in that movie. It's a terrible movie, but there was love for the underlying characters. That's why you know we're fascinated by it, right? This horrible movie, yet it's made by somebody who doesn't know it's a bad movie, right? Whereas I think Mister Mister Johnson knew he was making a bad movie, he was doing it on purpose, right? Uh, he wanted to say screw you to Star Wars for his personal agendas or whatever. I picked out the white man's you know franchise whatever he thought he was doing right uh and so he knew he was making a bad movie he didn't care right but that was those were hundreds of millions of dollars misspent for the last decade probably billions of dollars misspent for the last decade and so what we're beginning to see is an effort to try to get back on a track where those resources can be spent properly with things it's going to take a while because you got all you've had you've had the the mind and soul of hollywood has been poisoned by this bizarro cultural marxist garbage from the last 10 years right you know the hollywood rule as you know Clifton, always was say progressive things in public do conservative things in private right mm. <laughs> you know say all the stuff and then make your money right whereas then the last year is like no we're gonna do this in private too we're gonna run the company like this right we're gonna run the company like you know angles is in charge right <laughs> you know and it's not gonna work <laughs> and they did this and so now they're like how do we fix this now we got all these characters running around who think that you know if we if we don't have you know xyz identity in this in this disney product that you know we are violating the the religion of history that you was trying to stop the religion of history that Marx was talking about. That history is up because that's the religion. It's it's this imaginary god of history, right? Uh, you know, progressive history, but progress that has no end to progress, right? Which is what we're seeing. You know, when I keep asking my my friends who identify as progressive, I'm like, so when do we achieve an actual good society? They don't have an answer because it's a constant state of revolution, right? It's like yeah. once you get to first wave feminism. Uh, okay, you can vote. Great. Okay, now you get you, you, second wave feminism. Okay, and you got all these equal rights. You can get an abortion. Okay, third wave feminism. Okay, you, 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 now now you want to be the powerful one in charge and screw men. And now you got like fourth wave feminism. Well, a man is a woman. Okay, <laughs> and now you're there, right? And all the earlier ones are are all the earlier feminists are erased, right? All the earlier feminists are erased by where you are now because the progress has to find a new enemy. And now J.K. Rowling, who ten years ago was, wow, she just said Dumbledore's gay. That's really progressive. Now she is like a right-wing nut turf, whatever it is. It's because the religion of progress has no end. It has no end until there's no one left standing. There will always be something that someone says, that's not just, I'm going to get rid of you, right? And so there is no end to the religion of progress, but Hollywood adopted it to its own demise. So getting back to the original, Mike is very passionate, getting back to the original point. That's great. I, I do think Hollywood has special resources. It is a place where... People like yourself who are well-trained, who are talented, hopefully people like myself who have something special to offer and have worked hard to get there can bring something at a higher level. I just don't think – people have said to me, hey, man, Cameron, why don't you take that $100 million Crusades epic you wrote and maybe get it done on YouTube? I'm like, no, I don't want to make a $100 million movie on YouTube for 50000 bucks. I don't want to do it. Right. I don't want to I don't want to do it. I'll hang on until I can get it done. Right. Because I'd rather do it right because it deserves it. 
And that's the painful process that we're going through. And one of the most visible signs that we're now course correcting, besides the dramatic signs at Disney, is what happened to the Oscars this year. This Oscars was their first effort to stumble back into a dignified ceremony after years of, of madness and barbarism and people getting up and slapping people because it's a constant revolution. You got to get up and fight somebody else, right? There's no end to the revolution. People ended the revolution. People like, I just want to wear pretty clothes on the on the carpet, right? I just want to clap for some good movies and and, you know, and say some empty words about, you know, fight the power while I've got my powerful statue in my hand and get off the stage, right? That's and they're going back to that. Well, let's. Uh, yeah, that, that was going to be my next question. Actually, is uh, you know, do you think that um, you know the rumblings at at uh, a place like Disney, and there's also, I guess, uh, was it David Zasloff at uh, Warner Brothers is also making changes as well. I mean, you know, do you think it's a sign of of the of the coming sea change? And you know, I, I totally take your point about. Um, because, you know, and, and I feel bad because people reach out to me and, hey, you know, read my script or, you know, I have this idea for this movie. And it's like, OK, well, first of all, I mean, you know, if you're good at something, never do it for free, as they say. But it's like you, you can't afford me. But uh, it, it's I, I feel bad because, you know, I'm, I'm too old and too um, seasoned at this point to really want to go spend time and work on this thing with a bunch of with a bunch of amateurs i mean i feel bad saying this but that's the thing you know because you can make all this money i mean the, the late great patrice o'neill the comedian said you know he, he he put he described hollywood so aptly he said you know it, there's this great big beast where you know it chews people up they're, they're in the belly and then it shits them out the other end yes. and the, the crazy thing about it is people are there's still a line of people that are that that are lining up and they're seeing what's happening. They're seeing all the all the um, all the uh, the defecation happening, so to speak. They're seeing all the chewing and the gnashing of teeth, um, but they still want to get in it. Why? Well, because when you're in the belly of the beast, you're making two million dollars a week, and everyone's telling you you're pretty and that you're special, and you get to you know you don't have to worry about. It's how you avoid, you know, working in an office all day. It's how you avoid. And you get lots of sex because people and, throw themselves at people at that level, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, there, there's a guy. I'm just saying that's what people do. <laughs> so. but, well, well, there's a guy who said, you know, like once you, I mean, I just been like the lead in the musical. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's like being the pretty girl. If you get if you get a, a series regular or you, you get, you know, you're a movie star. It's just you just you just inundated all this stuff. So there's Your all these incentives. Life is quite active. Yes. Right. So, so there's all these incentives. And, you know, we know that, you know, basic economics, right? People operate based on incentives and they're attracted to the money and the and the status and the power. And so the, the big, big talent is always going to flow towards this system as long as it's as, as it's um, as it's there. And, you know, as I say that, I, I feel kind of bad because now I'm like, you know, have I tread, you know, too far astray? I have all the wrong opinions and the wrong thoughts. I mean, it seems I'm building my well, own sort of platform here. But, you know, will I ever be accepted into that system? Uh, because of you know all of the things that I've said and and done and and uh, and the th the fact of the matter is I, mean, I was talking to a friend um, the other day we were talking about um, another another theater guy another uh, Broadway guy long uh, you know long long career and we were talking about just the the the, the majesty of being in a theater and hearing like the, you know this huge orchestra light up and just to see these great artists working and and, and this event happening in front of you and there's just very few places either on stage or on screen where you know that that can reproduce that kind of magic and reproduce that kind of the, the depth and scope of of mm -hmm. this great work and i i don't know right now um if this sort of independent or content creator space i mean you know maybe we can crowdfund a movie maybe and do it like, like an eric july and make a few million dollars but can we really are we really going to be able to attract the level of talent and and expertise to be able to put something out that can compete 
with this big machine. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know if that's even possible right now. It's just, you know. I, I think right now, and I'm talking about probably for the next decade, I don't think that's realistic. I think you can make successful smaller projects. Uh, you know, a young woman that who I blew me away, she was a Muslim woman who was a USC student, I believe, who I'd met once. And, you know, when I gave a talk at USC, she was a film student there, wanted to be a director. And then she sent me an email, this is some years ago. And, you know, I, I, I'm trying to raise $100,000 for this, for this comedy called the, the Tiger Hunter, I believe it's called. And it was like a comedy about Indian people in the 70s who come to LA, whatever. I was like, sure, here, here, here's 100 bucks, right? I just said that, right? And then I watched her as, I didn't think anything was come out of it. I watched her, she fully financed that $100,000 thing and then made it and it was good. And then it was distributed, I believe, by Warner Brothers, but one of the students distributed it theatrically. And now she's a great, Lita Khan is her name. And now she's, she's working at top level projects. And so it is possible. However, she she wisely made an affordable, small, independent film that sh showcased her talent, so that she could then do these. She can't make the movie she's being hired to do right now off of off of you know off of GoFundMe. She can't do it. Uh, you know, they're ten million dollars, twenty million dollars, fifty million dollar budget. She can't do that. And I don't know that people can realistically do that. Do that even a decade from now. Uh, and because I think Hollywood's going to reassert itself in the next decade and recapture what it's lost. So I want to go back to something you said, uh, which is you wonder about whether you can return to this world having been so outspoken. Um, look, there will be people out there that will be afraid to hire you, even if they see that you're the right person, because you've been outspoken. And again, they're afraid of being canceled by other people. Hey, you, you, you're casting Clifton, that guy, that guy? It wasn't that guy like, wasn't that a guy a Trumper? Wasn't that guy, wasn't that guy an anti-vax guy who wants people to die of polio and measles and mumps? Is that is that that guy, right? <laughs> and, and they're going to be afraid. Uh, but that's not everybody. I remember seeing, before I was kicked off of Twitter, for unknown reasons still, right? Uh, I, I remember seeing, I think uh, Rob Schneider even reached out to you and said, you know, come come talk to me. You know, you, there are people out there that know who you are, right? And I'll say this right now, and I'll commit this right now because it's going to go public, right? Uh, I am still somehow a working, you know, screenwriter. I've got a major show in development right now at a major network. Uh, I hope to have that show announced in the near future with like Cameron Pasha show running the show, God willing, uh, inshallah, as you Muslims say. And I would love to cast you. You know, and I, I'm I'm still, at least as of now, maybe after this podcast comes out, I won't be in the running for 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 this stuff. But assuming that I survive, uh, you know, I would love to cast you because of the reasons I know you're talented. I know you like me have risen up and put the work in and did the craft, and you like me had the had the audacity to speak truth to power. And I always look for people like that. My friends are people like that. Uh, they are a subset of this industry, uh, but they're people that I'm going to help uh, and hopefully they'll help me. But so I, I can commit to that right now that you're somebody I want to work with. So you're, and I intend, I intend to be a player in this town. I don't know if you intend to be making $5,000 short films for YouTube. That's not what I'm here to do. Right. <laughs> and so, so, so that, that is something I want to extend to you. So there are, and there are others. And as time goes on and more and more people are kind of embarrassed about this, uh, and the narrative is going to change in the next several years. More and more people are going to kind of be aware that this was stupid what we did, uh, and they won't—they'll never publicly apologize. But you know, we have now crossed a threshold where these stupid protocols are ending, right? And that's a huge threshold that didn't look like it was going to come. I thought they were going to keep extending this for another ten years because there's legal liability. Because people are already saying, "Well, why did why did you ever have these protocols? They never made any sense, right?" You know, and there's and there's there's people who who could threaten to sue, right? Say, you know, you deprive your work for the past year for no rational reason, right? So and so, for them to let it go is kind of acknowledgement that that there is some way to end this, which means maybe it could have been ended earlier, which is a danger for them, but they're doing it. So 
you're still in the game. And this brings me to the thing that I promised you I'd talk about that then uh, is, uh, this is where I'm going to tell you, have faith, my friend. Uh, I'm saying, now is it, you've had all kinds of people on, you've had religious Christians on, and you've got a religious Muslim on, right? And we, at our very first talk, we talked about uh, where you said, well, I'm an atheist. I said, well, uh, it all depends on how you define God and atheism, right? Uh, because like I said, we Sufis always say to someone says, I'm an atheist, like, oh, don't worry, I don't believe in the God, you don't believe in either, right? Because, you know, when it comes out to a definition of, of, of deity, uh, most people uh, in, are talking about different things. Like there are devout Buddhists who you would define as atheists because they don't talk of a, of a personal deity. But everything they're describing to me about infinite consciousness and all this stuff is exactly what I as a Sufi equate to Allah, right? God. I mean, it's just, it's a different word to describe a reality. And what I know about you, and I've witnessed it watching this podcast evolve and your persona, public persona evolve, is you're a man of deep faith in the sense that you trust. You trust. You trust something, whatever, whether you have a word for it or not, you're trusting that something is happening you are still on this path and you're going to be okay. That's a, that's an act of trust. There's no rational reason to believe that. You stood up to the system, right? Yet you, you know, continue to do it. That's you know, an act of faith. What, what, what's so crazy about that is that, um, I mean, I mean, again, this is why Kamran is a, just a, sort of a prophet in a way, because that, that does describe a lot of what I feel. It's just, you know, because on one hand, I just, people, they, they say to me, oh, you're so brave, you're speaking out, you're courageous. And I just, I don't feel that way at all, really. I just say, I, I just can't exist in a system. I know, I know myself. I know that I can't exist in a system where I have to keep on shutting up and just keep on censoring myself. And I'm just saying things that I, that, that I think it hasn't, it hasn't, it hasn't been lost on me that, uh, you know, my, my sort of profile exploded when I began to say what I actually think. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm, it's funny, I'm sort of becoming more, acquainted with what with what faith means it's like mm-hmm. the sort of idea of, of hoping things are going to turn out um you know having this idea that things are going to turn out just well and i was speaking to um to jay bhattacharya actually for those who don't know jay bhattacharya is a is a, is a granny killer who uh, <laughs> he's one of the co-authors of a, of what was known as the great barrington declaration and um i'm just i, I feel like just by saying that i'm going to get even uh, demonetized even further he, but... he was he's one of the great scientists and scholars who was out there in public from the beginning saying this stuff doesn't make sense from a scientific point of yes. view lockdowns don't make sense we can ask questions about these pharmaceuticals that's the scientific process and he was lambasted. He was someone that I pointed to, a person that was telling me, man, you believe all these crazy conspiracy theories. I said, like, what about Jay Bhattacharya? I don't know who he is. Well, he took a look at his, took one look at his Twitter and said, I don't want to know any more about him. Because again, he was like, I don't want to know this because yeah. it shatters my perspective that a man of this level of scholarship is telling me I'm wrong. I don't want to hear about it. And the thing about Jay is that when you meet him and you speak to him, when you watch him speak, I mean, first of all, he never wanted any of this attention. Mm-hmm. He would have he would have been happy spending his life just teaching and doing research and uh, publishing papers. But, you know, he's a man of great integrity, um, you know, and great warmth. And he's super smart. But also, I mean, he's a man of, of deep faith, you know. And um, and we were talking uh, just the other day. I was in D.C. We were, you know, we finally met up together. And uh, and he said at one point he mentioned, um, you know, because I, I mentioned some of the some of the same concerns. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know where all this is leading to. I don't know what's really what my future is supposed to be now. You know, given all that's happened. And um, he said something about, um, you know, you, you you're you're um, you have to follow just just follow. And I thought he was going to say the word intuition, and mm-hmm. he he used the word God. Mm. And I and it was funny because to me, it's it felt like we were still saying the same thing. 
It's, and, it's about words. It's about definitions, right? Right, right. Like as, as you were just saying, and, and I feel like right now, and it's, and as you mentioned before, I mean, everybody that I've spoken to, you know, from Andrew Clavin to Antonio Sabato to Junior to Dean K, and now now to you, you know, th they're Christians, you're a Muslim, and they're all like, oh, I've been where you are once, and I will say, you know, I, I don't necessarily see myself, um, you know, taking the God pill, as they say. However, my understanding, I mean, I, I take the Camille Paglia track, right, which is that I, I'm an atheist, but I respect religion. I think that, like the Hitchens and the Dawkins and uh, Lord help him, Sam Harris. Oh, they're they're, they're just world. egotists. They're just egotists. They well, worship the mind. Well, they, well, like they, well, they, well, that, that's the thing. They worship the mind, right? They, like they're missing kind of part of the point is it, at least that, that that's what I've come to is that sure, it's nice to be smart and sort of, you know, think of yourself as rational and, and have all these facts or whatever, but that's not that's only one aspect of life. There's got to, there's something else out there. And I, and I feel like as an artist, you know, we can tap into whatever that is. And you channel and, it, especially as an actor in your body, you channel something great. Right. You channel right. the goose. Dude, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I did this play my second year of grad school. Like I, I got, uh, you know, I got bumped up to do a third year show and uh, it was called Gem of the Ocean. It's a great play by the, the playwright August Wilson. And the climactic scene in the play is uh, where the main character, whose name is Citizen, is taken to what's called the City of the Bones. It's, it's this, it's this yeah. mythical place that's sort of, you know, under the ocean where, and, it, and it, the bones, it's like the corpses of all the slaves who were thrown mm -hmm. overboard, you know, on the Middle Passage. And it's a very powerful sequence. And I remember like the last few nights when we were doing it, um, you know, I just, I, I, I began to actually, you know, see these bodies coming up out of the water, just in my mind's eye and you know, these ashen kind of, and it was so powerful and it was so, and it was scary but it was also like really, really thrilling. And, yeah. and when you're operating on that level, to me, it's like, it's a, a transcendent kind of even divine experience. So my, so part of my, my, um, my journey, I guess, has been like, you know, how can artists, especially now, um, help create more of those experiences for, for the audience. But, uh, you know, but all that to say that, uh, you know, it's funny because all, all my religious friends are saying, uh, you know, I was there once and, and, and I'm sure you'll be there, too. But, but notice uh, I haven't said that. I've, I've said I've already said you're there. Right. Right. Exactly. I've well, never that's, said that's you have to become say. Muslim or whatever. I've said you're already there. It's just definitions. Right. But but I'd love that, you know, because I've I think for the first time now, because, you know, as an actor, you just you have so little control over, you know, over your future, you know, you're sort of at the whim all the time of what's being produced and what's being, you know, do your agents have a relationship with the casting person? Can you even get an audition? You know, is an offer already out? <laughs> you know, are you even available that day? You know, it's all kinds of things. And any, any job you get is a miracle. And within that system, you know, you just, you kind of have to go along to get along and, and shut your mouth in a lot of ways, unless you're already established. And even then it's like, you know, I noticed Denzel doesn't really say that much, but I, I, I swear he's conservative. There's no way he's uh, not. Okay. So, so you, you actually gave me the link I was looking for, Denzel Washington. So I want to give you a direct example of what we were talking about through Denzel Washington, through a story I heard from Spike Lee. So mm. just before the lockdowns, Spike Lee did uh, a special screening of Malcolm X, which is one of the most important movies in my personal life. It changed my life. It Great put film. me on my spiritual path, right? Uh, wow. When I started in college, uh, it literally transformed me. I've actually did a, a did Apple Apple TV did a special documentary where there were people writing letters to Spike Lee, and I was one of the people who wrote a letter, and they interviewed me for it, and Spike Lee read my letter. On, on camera about how Malcolm X changed my life. So that's how important it is. So Spike, so of course, I was going to go see this. This was maybe 2019, just before all the, the, the hellness began. And so he was there. He was giving a talk in, you know, in, in, in Hollywood. And we screened uh, Malcolm X. And then he came out and he talked about it. And he said a story I'd never heard of before. He said, this is something with Denzel that happened. 
said so in one of the the sequences that's in the movie where Denzel's giving one of the, the famous fiery Malcolm X speeches you know you know we didn't land on Plymouth Rock Plymouth Rock landed on us he was an incredible orator right he understood it's like poetic and he and he was and he was and it was scripted from the actual words from the speech and so Denzel had done that and so when they were filming uh you know Denzel was doing it he was got all the mannerisms and the passion of Malcolm X and then 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 the scene the dialogue and the monologue ends where he's giving the speech right Denzel didn't stop he just kept going he just kept going for the nether uh, 10 15 minutes right and everyone's like what's happening here is he just ad libbing the whole thing right and 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 the cinematographer is like what do we do boss and and uh and spike lee said no, no just keep filming just keep filming just keep filming just don't interrupt him let him do his thing right and so 15 minutes this goes on where he's passionate adding words and more metaphors and this and great poetry of, of the oppression and all these things and when it's all oh no oh no it seems that we might we may have lost camera oh. That's incredible. Oh, sorry, 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 Cameron. You're, uh, you're. You know, uh, can you hear me right now? You're. Am I, you're, am I freezing? Yeah, you froze. You cut. You cut out for a little bit. You were getting right to uh, uh, what was going on. Um, I don't know if your connection is a little, a little faulty, but my, my connection suddenly became weak. Uh, let me see if I can. It's become unstable. That's exactly because my passion for Malcolm and Nick and said, "Well, hold on. Let me see if we can do this." Uh, hold on one second. Let me see what I can do here. Because you were getting right to the, I was like, I, I felt it. I was, you know, I got, I got blue balls a little bit. I was, you, you were getting right to okay, like, okay. the. Okay, okay. Well, I think, I think we got it back. So the universe was too much overwhelmed. But so there we was getting the passion of it, and 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 so we continued for fifteen minutes of this incredible ad libbed moment, right? Uh, and then finally, Spike Lee calls cut, and he goes up to him and asks Denzel, "Where the hell did you come up with that?" I mean, that was literally word for word exactly what Malcolm would have said. You know, it's in his inflection. And I thought it was the, the whole continuation of that speech as he would have said it, right? Uh, and it's incredible work. And Denzel looked at him and, and said, what are you talking about? He had, As far as he remembered, he had ended the scene with the, the last line of dialogue. He had no memory of those 15 minutes. He had essentially channeled Malcolm X and Malcolm finished the speech. He had literally blacked out. He's like, the last thing I remember is saying those words that were the final words I'd memorized. And then he had no memory of the next 15 minutes where he just went on. That's magical. Yeah. That's transcendent. That's not something that Sam Harris's study of neurology yes. is going to explain. That is something from beyond the limitations of the human mind, right. its exploration of the quantum field. And the very idea of all these people like Dawkins and Harris's, they don't understand the basic reality, the, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. It is, it's fundamental to reality. We cannot know everything. If we know one thing, we cannot know the other. If we know, if we know the speed at which a quantum particle is moving, we cannot know its position, and vice versa, right? So, but uncertainty is inherent to the cosmos from quantum physics, and the only way you can bridge uncertainty is to have faith. You must. Mm -hmm. It's that moment where 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 Indiana Jones and steps into the chasm, not not knowing what's going to happen, and a bridge appears where he couldn't see it. That's faith because there's no other way to survive in a world that is inherently, un, uh, you know, that has uncertainty to it. And those who deny it are worshiping. Those who deny it are worshiping something. Those, exactly. you, you cut out ag again for a second. You said those no, who but, deny but they, it are worshiping. Yeah. The, uh, they, what they are is they're worshiping one of the two things that they think they can know because you cannot know both things at once. And so they deny the existence of the other thing that they cannot know instead you know of making what? believe of faith. 
speaking. I, I, I loved everything you just said, because for me, you found a way to synergize and kind of synthesize what, what I've been trying to get at, which is, you know, if we are moving to be a more secular society, you know, what, what can, what, how can artists fit into that? And, and you've also mentioned, you know, when you're talking about acting as an art, and it's not just learning lines and showing up and looking pretty for the cameras, when you have someone like Denzel, and I've experienced this myself, where you, you leave yourself behind, and you, you forget yourself. And for someone like me, I tend to live in my head as with like the big criticism of, 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 of me and my work is that I, I I get so much in my head and I want it to be perfect or whatever. And I can, and, and it makes me, it makes it difficult to be spontaneous. And, you know, and, and you mentioned uncertainty and that's the thing is like, you do all this work. They tell you all the time, you, you show up, you do all your work, your preparation. And Denzel is notorious for his work ethic. I mean, uh, you know, you talk about Malcolm X, apparently he said, he claimed uh, that uh, he knew what prescription glasses um, uh, Malcolm was wearing, uh, you know, at any particular given moment. And, mm -hmm. you know, but th what they what they tell you is that, you know, you you fill yourself up. And I had a teacher who said that information is inspiration. So you do your research and you analyze the script and you break down the beats and, you know, you you interpret your character and everything. But then when the cameras are rolling or you're rehearsing and you're on stage, you let it all go. Yeah. You let it all go and you leave yourself open and, you know, come whatever happens, happens. And you have to be comfortable living and not knowing. And, and the word faith is interesting. You have to have faith. That mm -hmm. whatever happens, it's going to not just turn out okay, but that it's going to be right. And it's, you know, guys like Marlon Brando kind of had this too, where, um, they, you know, it was, uh, I think it was Jessica Tandy who was playing a, a opposite Marlon on Broadway in A Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah. And she said, you know, some nights Marlon, he, Marlon would always bring his day in. He, he, he'd always have his day, you know, he, he performed how he felt. And so sometimes he played badly, sometimes he played really well, but he was never false. He was whatever he yeah. did was always true to where to where he was in that moment. And it takes a lot of courage, really, as, as an artist and as, as an actor to do that and to allow yourself to just be open and just sort of a, a slave, if you will, to your impulses or your inspiration or your imagination, your creative faculties, whatever that is. And that's something that knows that I don't think a scientist or some kind of brainy intellectual can really explain. They, they can't explain that phenomenon. That's why, you know, when I look at Shakespeare plays and, you know, you have all these these editions, the Arden edition or whatever, they have all these notes from academics or whatever. And I always ignore them because mm -hmm. unless you tell me what a word means, otherwise, I don't care about your interpretation because you're sitting there in your head. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people criticize, you know, my interpretation of like, of like, a, you know, to be or not to be. And I'm looking at it because I have to play the damn thing. And yeah. so I'm looking at it as someone who actually has to embody the character. And, and that, that means I have to live, you know, somewhat in my head. It's a conscious process for unconscious results, as Stanislavski once said. But it's not just my head. It's my heart. It's my guts. It's my groin. It's all that stuff that, that drives humanity that, that you, that you see in all the best actors, they, they can somehow synergize all of that. And I love that story about, you know, something, something took over, uh, when Denzel was working. And it's funny because to this day, whenever mm -hmm. I, even though Denzel looks nothing like Malcolm X, whenever mm -hmm. I see a picture of, I, of, of, of Malcolm X, I also see Denzel Washington's face. He literally embodied that role. He transformed himself and that's magical. That's something that, that no scientist or whatever can really, can really explain. And that's what the art of it is. Well, you came down to something said, we should talk about the process, which is the actor and all uh, artists have to be, but especially the actor has to be in the moment, right? Yeah. And let's contrast going back full circle to where we began talking about politics and, and pharmaceuticals and everything else. When you're in the moment, you are inherently have trust and faith that the next moment is going to be okay. You right. know, to be an artist, you can't, you know, you can't think seven pages down the line, even if you know at the end of the scene your character is killed. To be in the moment, to be real, 
that doesn't exist. All that is, is this moment and everything's going to be okay in this moment if I'm true. Contrast that with our friends that hijacked the planet for the last three years, right? Mm-hmm. Ones we they call, like to call themselves progressive because we talk about the religion of eternal progress, right? They're never in the moment. There's always some future that they're trying to reach for and they will do whatever is necessary to achieve this illusory future if even if it means ruining the moment, even if it means destroying everyone's moment for this imaginary future that never comes. That's why the this this eternal uh, you know rule of progress never leads to anything but suffering because all life is is a, is a chain of moments. And if you make the journey miserable, there is no outcome where it's a good outcome, where you're happy at the end of the outcome. That's what I kept trying to persuade people the last few years. These lockdowns are destroying people's lives now. They're destroying mm-hmm. their lives now. You will not end up in a world where you look back and say that was a good a good thing that we did because of this outcome. Nobody is claiming today that the outcome is a good outcome, right? Neither the right nor the left is claiming that. Only one side is maybe asking the question of why we did it, but nobody you know, is claiming that. Because, And I said that three years ago. I said this chain of suffering will end in suffering. That is the only, that's where the religion of progress goes, whereas the artist's gift is teaching you to embrace this now, the power of now, right? Uh, and that that's why I say I don't have to preach you or try to convert you to my religion. You are already on the spiritual path. You know, you're just using different words to describe it. But I know from your living it that you are a man of faith because you are a man that lives in the moment truthfully. Well, I uh, I can't think of a better place to end. We've come back to where we started in a sense. Uh, his name is Kamran Pasha. Kamran, how can people find and support you? Because obviously you uh, you need and deserve to be supported. Well, I mean, the best way right now is I have this lovely Patreon where you can come and hear all my Hollywood scoops. Because I said, I've got this sort of little army of people who are frustrated within Hollywood of the system and are leaking to me things. So I reveal all the stuff that, that even the news doesn't have. And they're beginning to notice that, right? So just come to me on my Patreon, uh, which is my name. So it's Patreon slash Cameron Pasha, K-A-M-R-A-N-P-A-S-H-A. And if you're going to put this on YouTube or some channel, you can probably throw a link in there. But yeah, so come join me there. Uh, and it's, we've created, we've, what we've tried to do is create a lively community there. There's several hundred people there. People have a broad range of politics. There's right-wingers and left-wingers, and everyone talks, but everyone talks respectfully. People argue about the scenes in the movies. They argue about it. But we all share this desire to make good stories and good art. That's that's what is bringing people together of all these different values. Uh, that's what the world used to be before 2017, and we're trying to recreate it there now. I love that. Well, uh, Cameron, hopefully, I have, you know, I have to have you on again at some point. Clearly, we can go one on one more year. I'll end. be the I'll be the first person to do it three times. <laughs> I know it's it's, it's got to be an end, like a like a Christmas special or something. It has to be well, it's, well, Christmas or Ramadan season, special. Ramadan, there we go. I was gonna say let's do it next Ramadan. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, uh, you know, I got nothing else to say, man. Uh, I I I always love talking to you. You've actually, you know, I was trying not to, you know, not not, not to cry. Some of the things that you were saying, you got me really excited about maybe even thinking about trying to act again because really, to be honest. I've been so demoralized by everything that's been going on. And I've, I've been like, I don't even know if I want to do it anymore. You know, I've done it all my life. But um, hearing, hearing you talk it. about it. You're meant to do it, my friend. What you've done all your life is part of you. You cannot, to let it go, this is, not, this is you'll continue to be a spokesman. You've now added that to your resume, a person speaking truth to power. That's part of who you are. That's part of your magic. But the core of who you are is you are, you are an artist. And to deny that will not lead to anyone's happiness and will ultimately 
you know, close doors on in this new world you've created for yourself because you're going to be disconnected from your heart. So come back. They've opened the doors. You can be resentful to who these people were. But, you know, I work with people that hate my religion, hate my politics all day long, just like we used to before all this nonsense. And like you said at the very beginning of the podcast, we, we were just there to do the work. And I'm urging you to come back and do the work with us. 